0: We had started reading articles about employees in Asia and eastern parts of the world, which saw the pandemic sooner than we did, that they were using certain hardwares for temperature scanning, contactless, automated temperature scanning. We started sourcing these hardwares as of this February, March this year. We caught these devices. We tested with more than 10 of these hardwares. We found a few of them to have the acceptable level of accuracy, which would be right for our customers
1: and then we've built the right integrations with them. Hey everyone, welcome to Brains Behind AI, a show where we meet the innovators, entrepreneurs, and the real brains behind some of the most successful AI startups. We ask them about their journey from coming up with the idea to finding the product market fit. And from their experience, draw a set of principles that we can take away to ours. This is your host, Ari. Thank you for spending time with us, and now, let the show begin. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Brains Behind AI. I am Ari Yacobi, and I have with me my co-host, Natalie Thomas. Natalie, how are you?
2: I'm doing well, Ari, and thank you for having me. Today, we have a special guest with us. His name is Mohit Garg. Moheath is the CEO and co-founder of Alloyed AI, an identification and authentication company using facial recognition. Moheath is a proven entrepreneur with 22 years of experience building and scaling enterprise products and teams. Moheath was also an early member of successful Silicon Valley startups, such as Lost Band Wireless and Aruba Networks. He holds a master's degree from Stanford University, an MBA from the Indian School of Business, and an undergraduate from IIT Delhi. Mohit, welcome
1: to the show.
0: Thank you, Ari and Natalie. It's great to be on the show. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, Mohit, that's quite an impressive background. What I'd like to do is before we get into the company, I want to learn a little bit about yourself and your personal journey and, and how it prepared you for your entrepreneurial life that you live right now. Where did it all start?
0: When I look back at my journey, I see three distinct phases which led up to where I am today. And you know, it's always constantly changing, so I'm not sure about where I'm going next. But it started by growing up early years in India, where you know my societal and parental pressure gave me only two options to be an engineer or a doctor. And I was naturally inclined to be an engineer. I loved maths and I loved science. So I spent pretty much my almost until nineteen years of age. In India, going through a traditional education system, did pretty well with academics, but really didn't have a sense of what this was leading to, right? Got into engineering school because that's what the so called bright kids did. But once I got into engineering school, I really uh, started to connect with my passion for technology and connect with a passion for building products. I started to appreciate how technology is an amplifier and how we were at the cusp of this big technology revolution, which was changing our lives. So I spent first eight years of my lives after my master's in electrical engineering building products. Uh, Pre-IPU companies like Aruba Networks was very fortunate to be part of the early team in a company that grew so fast. So I got fascinated about building companies and not just products. So in 2010, I founded my first startup. I founded it with three other friends from my business school, and I really enjoyed the journey made a lot of mistakes along the way <laughs> and uh, now as a second time founder i'm making new ones so it's been a journey where i spent time as a developer as an engineer and spent time building the book of revenue in my previous startup as the chief revenue officer so it's been an interesting journey going from tech to revenue and you know now being as ceo so i'm just looking forward to what future has in store for me and so it's a journey of constant learning that's how I like to describe it.
2: So from your personal journey, how did you really come up with the idea? How, how was Aloyd AI developed? What was your big aha moment that you had?
0: I call it progressive discovery, Natalie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, exactly. You know, as a second-time founder, my first uh, venture was in the sales productivity space. It's a very successful company named Mindicle. And as I was looking about what are my goals for my next venture, I wanted to align around the trends around future of work and AI. That's an area I was getting very interested in. And that's when I happened to meet my co-founder, Madhu, who's our CTO. And he has a very deep background in AI, identity management. He's worked on voice recognition, AI, back 10 years back. He's got patents in Bluetooth identity protocols. So as we started to explore common interests, it was clear to us that computer vision and AI will have huge applications in the workplace. So it wasn't like a bright moment of, we're going to solve this exact problem. It was more around computer vision for the enterprise is going to see huge benefits in several parts of the enterprise and the workplace. We actually started with something very different. We started with an object recognition algorithm where we said we'll build safety applications where if you leave an object in front of an emergency door, it will create alerts so that you don't have fire hazards if the emergency door is blocked. So that was actually the first MVP that we created, and then we found that it was a fairly limited market. So it's been a process of discovery and working very closely with early customers to align at the definition of the product, Natalie. But yes, I I think it's about aligning with trends. It's about having the right team and then working with early customers to align to the ultimate vision of the company. And evolution. Absolutely. Progressive discovery.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So once you finalize that the computer vision is the theme you want to explore with your startup, just curious, how did you go from object detection, your initial MVP, to facial recognition and the things you do today, what has that evolution, that journey been like?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll start by first uh, clarifying that Olo8 AI is not just a facial recognition platform. It is an identity platform. It is an authentication platform which uses several factors of identity. The face is one of them. We use QR code. We use voice. We also are including mobile-based identity. So really what we're solving for is identity management and authentication for deskless motors. But your question on how we arrived there is uh, as we were looking at implementing our object recognition emergency door solutions in factories and warehouses, we were visiting these customers, early beta customers and warehouses, and we were looking at how the day of the uh, life of a worker goes about. and We could see that a factory worker or a construction worker has to rely on multiple methods of authentication. If they're using a time clock or opening a door or accessing a turnstile or an IoT device, sometimes they were using PIN pads by entering a code, sometimes fingerprints. The other time, username passwords, and guess what? They're carrying stuff. So entering using passwords is really hard at times, right? So we found that Identity management for the cognitive worker or the desk worker is a well-solved problem. Uh, we all enjoy the benefit of single sign-on. We have one username and password, gives us access to CRM, email, productivity applications. We actually even enjoy it in our consumer lives, where one Google password is giving us access to Google Drive, email, and you know number of applications like Hangouts and whatnot. But for a deskless worker, username and password is not a good solution. And from a security standpoint, if you give them badges, we realized that there was a security risk. You know, if I have your badge, I have your identity. So we got very convinced that a computer vision-based contactless biometric, which uses face as a primary factor, and you add additional factors to make it high confidence, high security, would be a great solution. We then started training our AI models around zero false positives. You basically train it such that it gives you a confidence score, and you manage to do a high confidence score on identity. Uh, do fraud detection, spoof detection to ensure that nobody is uh, spoofing it with masks or putting a picture in front of a camera. So this was a whole process of uh, working on an initial inception of an idea, and then you know I can talk about how we work with customers. to even figure out the value, right? So we can build cool tech, but it has to be valuable for the yeah. customer. So that's another second part of the discovery that we uh, carried out after we had this uh, idea about the technology.
1: Yeah, that's where I was going next. Your technology sounds pretty cool and nice to have, but it doesn't feel mandatory. So as I think about go-to-market, who was your beachhead market and customer that you felt strongly about that they could use your product and benefit from it?
0: So because our initial anchoring of the value proposition was around enhanced... Security in technical terms, it's called identity assurance. When I say it is person A, it is actually person A, not person B, impersonating as person A. In order to double click on the target segment market and the buyer, we had to double click on the drivers of ROI. So while removing friction for the end user and benefits like hygiene from a contactless technology was a great outcome, for the organization, we determined that identity assurance had. Uh, sources of value. One was improved accountability and theft prevention, and better compliance documentation. In fact, if you go to a pharma warehouse, who entered a certain door needs to be documented because you may have storage of uh, controlled substances. Right. So we found that high value industries, pharma, and uh, high value manufacturing would be a very good place for us to start. We also looked at aerospace and defense, but it was going to have long sales cycles, so we didn't pursue it early stage. Second was the cost reduction because now you didn't need expensive hardware or you know some of the challenges with hardware breaking down due to contact based technologies. And lastly was payroll savings, right? So if you look at the inaccuracies of time and attendance system because of impersonation, that can have double digit million dollars of savings. So we started with more of a Security value proposition, and we penetrated 1400, 500 beta customers in high value manufacturing, uh, pharma warehouses, and also a little bit of construction. So that was our initial uh, wedge into the market. If I may use that expression.
2: Thank you. Very interesting. And I wanted to talk about the challenges that you're experiencing. What challenges have you experienced getting to the market, and what challenges are you experiencing today?
0: Yeah, so you know, this is something we constantly discuss within the founding team and also our entire team. Like we say, hey, what is it that is still a source of risk we have not eliminated? Because you know, as you create value in a company, whether it's through funding rounds, the question you ought to be asking is, what risk have you already eliminated? What is not yet eliminated? And I think if I look at a few areas where we continue to make a lot of investments and work, one is an education challenge. Our customers have the option of retrofitting an incremental point solution. right So let's take the example of what's happening with COVID-19. You know before COVID-19, we were talking about primarily security, and it was a very strong value proposition. Today, customers care the most about safety, contactless interaction, contagion prevention at the workplace. So you know, I'll talk about how we also had to do some product improvisations with COVID-19. Customers need this now. They need it today. So sometimes they have the option of using incremental retrofit technology, replacing a fingerprint reader with a badge reader and continuing with business as usual. Our impact and success with a new generational shift of technology will be determined by how soon the market can appreciate the benefit of centralized identity. Use this COVID-19 as an opportunity to do a major transformation of identity management. Right? So that's an education challenge which we constantly have to prove ROI and showcase that this is an opportunity to revamp your identity framework. The second part of the education challenge is for the end users. Right. So we all know that there's news around the unethical use of facial recognition in by state agencies in a public context. There's heightened concern around data privacy. The reality is that as part of our employment, we have always entrusted our employers with significant amount of private data. Employers have our picture, social security number, and whatnot. So when it comes to centralized identity management and use of contactless biometrics, we need to educate our end users that the data is used and retained only for the workplace applications. We encrypt the personally identifiable information with a one-way hash, de-identify the data, so even if the employer were to provide those my MyBetrics to, let's say, a state agency, the data is practically useless. It cannot be tied to an individual outside of proprietary software. So there's two parts of the education, educating the market from a customer standpoint, from a user standpoint. And lastly, the third challenge I would say is scaling up a company which has a physical product. So my first startup was a pure software application, it can be downloaded a million times a day, whereas our software today is an app which has to be downloaded into a tablet or a phone. And sometimes the procurement of the device, mounting and wiring of a device can result in some friction. So we are partnering with system integrators, installation service providers in the short term to address this, but we are building on a pure self install model that makes it very easy for an untrained technician to drive a few screws in a wall, install the iPad, connect to Wi Fi, and get going. So I would say, purely from a scaling standpoint, it's the education challenge and then the scaling challenge and making it very easy to deploy. Those
1: are two ideas we're working on. Mohit, you're already touching on all the points I want to cover here. COVID-19, Congress, regulating facial recognition, all the way to challenges of being a physical product company. So let's work backwards. Being a physical product company is hard, and it's a tough proposition, even in Silicon Valley. I know so many entrepreneurs who would give up on it too quickly, And so many VCs who would not touch it. So I want to know, what are some of the challenges you're experiencing in building and scaling a physical product company? And how are you navigating them?
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And hopefully there's some learnings here from our journey for your listeners. We early on took a call that we want to be a hardware integrated product and not a hardware product. So the way I would describe it is we are not a hardware company. But we integrate with off-the-shelf hardware. We do not manufacture hardware. We do not plan to manufacture hardware, but we certify hardware that we can endorse and say that our customers can buy those pieces of hardware and our software will work with those without any issues. So let me double-click on this. Let's take the example of post-COVID-19, we found that our customers needed to not just authenticate the identity of a worker, employee, contractor, visitor coming into the workplace. They also needed to put in some contagion prevention measures, check the temperature for elevated temperature, potentially have some QR code scanning with uh, the self-certification questions. So the way we went about this illustrates our hardware integrated approach. We started testing off-the-shelf thermal cameras that were available in the market. We had started reading articles about employees in Asia and eastern parts of the world, which saw the pandemic sooner than we did, that they were using certain hardwares for temperature scanning, contactless automated temperature scanning. We started sourcing these hardwares as of this February, March this year. We caught these devices. We tested with more than 10 of these hardwares we found a few of them to have the acceptable level of accuracy, which would be right for our customers, and then we built the right integrations with them. Some of them were API integration, which are much easier to build. Some of them required some proprietary development, but we continue to build Oloid as an integration platform. It can integrate with IP cameras, it can integrate with Bluetooth devices, it can integrate with QR codes, it can integrate now with thermal devices. So we believe this is a very scalable approach. Our customers take advantage of Onward software by downloading an app from the App Store. The app comes pre-built with these integrations, so the customers can buy the hardware themselves. We do not have to supply that, but our customers do have to implement it in terms of putting the hardware on a wall. If it's a tablet or a camera, then installing and wiring it. So we we do have that aspect of the physical implementation, but from a development standpoint we continue to focus on being a scalable integration-based software platform and not a hardware company. I hope that answers your question.
1: Yes, yes, it does. So you're taking more of a platform approach and, yes. and not, not be a hardware company. I like that a lot. Now, you touched on a lot of things here, and it seems like you're moving very, very quickly in terms of doing some of those integrations for the devices that are out there that measure temperature and so on, It's in, especially in this global pandemic. So so just curious, how are you managing it in terms of moving so quickly with the solutions that you're coming up with while we're in a standstill mode here?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's where I give a lot of credit to our team. You know, as you can imagine, a startup, especially uh, an early-stage company, its success is hugely determined by the quality of the initial team. And I think I speak for most startups and founders that I'm you know, familiar with that software companies are very well designed for remote collaboration. We already had remote members in our team who were not even in our Sunnyvale office. Right? We had you know, close to eight members of the team who were remote. And now we have 10. We actually have two more hires that we made recently who are remote. So, we were designed as an organization to not rely on being in the same room. And for us, uh, the collaboration post pandemic, I I think, presented only one challenge, which was we lost access to our lab. So, we had to set up labs in our garage. My co founder has a lab set up in his garage. So, I think there was this element of having to rebuild our lab setup. But, other than that, from a remote collaboration standpoint, Our team was able to switch, flip the switch with no challenge. And I would say it is the mission, right? So today, because our solutions are enabling return to work, back to work programs for our customers, they are helping contagion prevention. Our team is super excited, right? We are part of the solution in these tough times. It's a time when the world is confronted with serious problems and we are excited to be working with more and more businesses with getting them back to work. So tunnel scanning is just the beginning, right? We've already forced partnerships where we don't have to solve every piece of the puzzle. We have partners who are building IoT solutions for contact tracing and social distancing. We're integrating with them. So we believe that we have a very strong identity solution and we partner with hardware providers, IoT providers, to provide a comprehensive safety and security solution. And that's what... Keeps our uh, team going, right? Every time we talk about the successes we are seeing with our customers, we all love to be part of this mission and remote collaborate. Collaborate remotely. It's uh, been, you know, a time of exciting possibilities where we think we're part of the serious challenges for our customers.
1: Yeah, that's definitely very exciting. Now, turning to the market and sales side of it, what is your go-to-market approach for COVID-19 tailored offerings? Because these are not normal times. So I'm just curious, how are you going to market with them?
0: Yeah. So if we look at the go-to-market in three uh, sort of upgrade opportunities for our customers, right? So the most easy to implement part of our solution is COVID-19 symptoms questionnaire, which means I'm a visitor, an employee coming to work, and every day, i have to answer three questions based on four questions based on cdc guidelines i have to attest that i am not sick somebody in my close contact is not sick and i've not traveled internationally today our customers were doing it manually we've turned that into a qr code scanning in the same camera as we use for patient authentication so this is a free application so our go to market is any business who wants to automate what they're doing manually can download our app and use the qr code system They don't need any custom hardware it works with any phone, Android, iOS, whatsoever. So that makes our entry funnel really broad. We don't even want to make money from all of these customers. Some of these customers are small restaurants and small businesses. We actually have no interest in making money from them. We just want to be of service. But then this creates the mindset of brand recognition and paid forward where these customers now would think about, what is the additional value I can get out of this product? then they can go for temperature scanning or thermal scanning, where they can buy a thermal camera, integrate with our platform. And this is going to be where qualified businesses can get into a subscription contract with us do the temperature screening. And at this point, they're still not taking advantage of whole platform, but getting value. The third step is more for enterprises, where our photo market is squarely focused on, where now you can bring in the whole identity framework. The thermal scanning QR code plugs into the identity framework. You can create the logic of not only am I using the QR code or temperature scan, but I'm also using the identity to operate turnstiles, operate time clocks, and now I have a fully integrated solution. So We have layered our go-to-market into these three stages where our customers can opt-in with a free offering, have an inexpensive upsell and start using part of our platform, and then have the experience of having trust in a technology to then buy into the full platform. Uh, so we're doing it both inbound and outbound. Uh, from an inbound standpoint, we're generating content and running online campaigns. From an outbound standpoint, we have a target list of customers who'd be in a sweet spot, and we are reaching out to them direct through email and form.
1: Great, great. And how big is your team, and how the team is structured between sales and development?
0: Yeah, so we're a primarily R and D focused team. Our go to market team is pretty small. We're overall a team of twenty, and I would say that seventy uh, percent of our team is all engineers and you know R and D people. We have a small customer success team, and a lot of our lead volume is coming through our channel partners and through our online campaigns. So at this point, you know, it's a very small. Highly focused sales team, which is not working on lead generation. The leads are coming through a website, and we're just engaging through D.O.Cs, showing the value for product and uh, closing deals. Great.
1: And the last point on the on the challenge, right? In the wake of these recent events, uh, some larger companies have abandoned their facial recognition technology, and Microsoft and Amazon are calling Congress to regulate it. And I know you touched on it initially about keeping data private and it's more for identification and authentication. Do you have an opinion on on what's out there? What are your thoughts when we think about the Clearview and other companies that are out there that are providing, say, police or uh, the government officials with, with some of that data, right? There's a lot of debate and controversy around that. Just curious because you live and breathe in that space. What, what is your opinion, if you have any?
0: Yeah, so first thing, Ari, uh, is that we want to be very focused on the workplace applications, right? So we have no intention whatsoever to be uh, operating in surveillance technology, airports, traffic signals. We have no intention of making our technology available in that area. And we are publicly very vocal about that uh, we are seeing a lot of traction in the workplace and that's a we're passionate about but the second thing is even within the workplace how can you bring a very robust data privacy framework so we are we have worked with worker unions to understand their concerns we've worked with legal teams of our customers and we have done our own privacy analysis of the data framework so we came out with some very foundational guiding principles one is around transparency of how the end user is aware of how their identity is being used. If an employer uses Poloid for time clocking or for opening the door for the main entrance, the employee should have the ability to look at the log of how their identity is being used. The employer should not surreptitiously use it to track their bathroom breaks, for example. Right? So we make all of that transparency available to the end user. We also believe that. As employees use this technology, they're going to enjoy the benefits and they're going to develop trust. So for us, the success will come from the employers and the employees, they use this technology, enjoy its frictionless benefits, and it becomes second nature. You know, just like we don't want to carry the keys and insert them into our cars, the wireless keys do the job for us. Going back to physical keys is going to be hard. But first, you have to learn to trust the technology. So both from a data privacy framework that I talked about, from a transparency that I talked about, we want to bring the ethical use of this technology, both facial recognition and non-facial recognition factors, to provide a product that works for both employers and for the uh, employees from a data protection standpoint. So that's an area where we're very passionate about and we are looking at publishing our frameworks as a best practice for maybe other vendors or companies to follow. We want to be part of that uh, whole discussion and provide this framework, which I think is very powerful and addresses all the concerns that have been highlighted in the debates, uh, but those are more in the public context, not in the private workplace context.
1: And now switching gears a bit, being a Silicon Valley AI company, the VC conversation is inevitable. A lot of AI entrepreneurs that listen to this show are also thinking about it. And I know it's one of the biggest things on their mind. So, given your experience building and scaling an AI company, what is your advice on raising capital?
0: Yeah, so I've had the opportunity to have been through multiple fundraise rounds in my previous startup and now we've raised VC money at Odoid as well. And through this experience, I've learned a few things. One is that it is not just about the idea and I'm stating something which we hear about a lot, but I'll touch upon the nuances here. I think it's about this understanding of how the VC model works and being able to explain to the VC on how this idea matches with the VC model. Why is this a scalable company? Why is this going to create VC returns? And often, it is not a workflow company where you... Move bits and bytes and you solve one problem. It's a lot about defensibility. It's a lot about network effects of your technology. And I find that many times, as very excited and uh, zealous entrepreneurs, we just focus on that workflow and we say our software can do ABC, XYZ. But I think it's really important for a VC conversation to abstract that on how that ABC, XYZ continues to scale and becomes a massive transformation long-term. How does it become a meaningful company? How does it remain within the company and not get substituted for a cheaper, faster product that comes along? So this is all rooted in how strategically you're thinking about your product. How does it become indispensable for the customer? How is it sticky? Why can't the customer just switch to a cheaper, faster product? I think... This is one area where, at least first time entrepreneurs, I, I did it myself. I did not pay enough attention. And this time around, that's an active conversation that we have. It gives the VCs the confidence that this team, this founding team, they are aware of how you can create VC scale returns. How can you create defensible technology? Uh, so I think this is a big part of learning around my journey. Of being very conscious and deliberate about defensibility of the technology, scalability of your tech.
2: Thank you. And that's really interesting um, for us. And I did want to talk about the name of your company, Oloid AI. Can you just tell us a little bit more about how you developed the name? I did read about it on your website, and I found it really interesting. So I would love to hear a little bit more about the background of that.
0: Yeah, certainly, Natalie. Oloid is a shape which has very interesting uh, geometrical properties and we were fascinated you know like i said with a background in mathematics you know our founding team uh, we were very fascinated about the shape and we, we saw videos of that and we thought it would be a very cool name for the company but we also were building an identity company and we wanted a name which had an id part of it in fact we have a domain Odo id domain and Oh it has a significance when it comes to some of the algorithms. There's a only look once algorithm which is relevant to us. And we also believe that our technology needs to be as frictionless as you only look, at, look once at the door and it opens. So for several reasons, we thought it would be a very appropriate name for our company. And our vision is that you know we'll have a company where our logo and this old white shape become synonymous with this. Uh, technology you're bringing to the workplace. Uh, I was just excited about having a great brand and a meaningful name for the company to bring about this change.
2: And I did. I saw the little video of the Oloid on your website and it was really soothing. Like it felt really nice. <laughs> I really like, I liked learning about the name a lot and I can see how that relates to your company as well and giving it a really nice image.
0: Thank you. I have one on my desk, which is uh, always a good stress buster to play around with. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I know. I keep watching it.
0: (laughs) That's great, right? It seems like
1: you're off to a good start here. And especially in these times, you're creating solutions that are much needed. But what is your vision? Where do you see the company, say, three years from now or five years from now?
0: Again, if I build on a few things I shared, which is how do you build network effects? How do you build a product that is relevant long term? We believe that with our investments into making very robust technology, along with the privacy framework, we should be able to earn the trust of our end users, where they're willing to commit and manage their identity on a platform, not just with one employer, but across multiple employers. So think about the network effects where I've enjoyed the benefits of Oloid identity in Employer 1, and now I have my preferences, I have my identities built into it, and I'm able to carry it. I'm a contractor with a gig economy, and I'm doing multiple gigs. How powerful it would be if I have my Oloid app, and I'm able to access the premises, I'm able to access my work applications across multiple employers. We believe that will be a true single sign-on for the deskless worker. And for that, we are making all the foundational work around having a robust technology privacy framework. And we believe that what we're going to do is keep the trust of our customers, keep the trust of our end users, and the magic will happen.
1: And thinking about the buyers of your technology and the leaders at these industrial workspaces, what message do you have for them? How can they help you and themselves accelerate on this journey to a computer vision-driven workplace?
0: Yeah, so when I look at the role of the chief information security officer, when I look at people who are responsible for logical identity, they end up being a different function than the function responsible for physical identity that's managed by facilities or physical security team. My message for the industry would be, Uh, Promote the convergence of physical and logical security. This will have huge benefits. Today, the data is siloed. The CISOs, for the most part, are managing the cognitive workforce, username and passwords. And then there's a separate set of teams, which is managing the badges and the IDs for the pin pads and fingerprint systems. There needs to be a convergence between the two areas. This will provide much stronger security It provide agility to your business. Imagine the time spent today to onboard a new hire or a contractor. You actually have to spend a lot of money going to a desk printing a badge, and then the data might not percolate or flow into the right systems at the right time. So we believe technology has come a long way where this is feasible and possible. We have to break silos within the organization between physical and logical security
2: interesting and before we wrap up I just wanted to ask do you have any advice for future or aspiring
0: entrepreneurs that's a <laughs> very broad question and uh, I'm trying to think of distilling my comment into like a more actionable advice I would say one area where I would highly highly recommend entrepreneurs is to think of their company and idea in two stages one is brutal honesty and brutal. A validation of the idea and make that a dispassionate process. But once they have developed their own conviction, which is database, to stick with it. Every company, I've done it twice and both the times I have found naysayers, I have found skeptics. Once you have developed your own database conviction, it makes most sense to not switch your idea or change because some VC gave you some feedback that this won't work. It really pays huge dividends. To be contrarian sometimes, you just have to make sure that your original conviction was founded based on the data, based on your research that you can stand by, and you, you are yourself convinced it never serves well to keep on changing your pitch according to every meeting. Sticking to your conviction is one of the strongest things to earn the respect of your team and VCs in the long term.
2: Thank you. That's really valuable,
0: actually. So thank you. Yeah,
1: no, that's 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 a deep advice, actually. So, hey, Mohit, thank you for taking the time out. It is Friday, and I know it's late. So really appreciate you taking the time out. This was super valuable and super timely, given what we are going through in these times here. So so really, really appreciate it. Thank you for being with us on our show.
0: My pleasure, Hari and Matthew. It was great to chat with you, too thank
1: you so much thank you so much for being here today if you like what you heard and are interested in more visit us online at brainsbehind.ai and sign up for my monthly AI startup tracker that's where I cut through the noise and bring you AI startups that are making tangible progress till next time go out be the brains behind AI